From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, July 23rd. Today, Dr. Strange Bedfellows, or How Private Equity Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the ESG. I'm joined by contributing editor Imogen Rose-Smith to discuss her latest column on Impact Alpha and by Roundtable regular David Bank. Hi, Imogen. Hi, Brian. Hi, David. Hey to both of you. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. The hundreds of thousands of acres on fire in the western United States are creating their own weather patterns and sending smoke all the way to New York, which makes the case for the billions of dollars being promised for climate solutions. Generate Capital raised a fresh $2 billion to finance sustainable infrastructure, including microgrids, carbon-free fleets, and waste-to-fuel systems. Last year, Generate raised $1 billion, and co-founder Jigger Shaw has joined the Department of Energy, where he runs a loan fund that has $40 billion to finance the low-carbon transition. And Breakthrough Energy, the billionaire-backed fund of early-stage climate solutions, is blending capital to scale up green hydrogen, sustainable aviation fuels, energy storage, and direct air capture of carbon. That means things like loan guarantees and offtake agreements to make sure that project developers have a buyer. Breakthrough's first partnership is a $1 billion five-year commitment from the European Commission. Climate investment is more than just clean energy. Biotech companies are taking on synthetic fertilizers, which have high environmental and climate costs, and high costs for farmers. Pivot Bio in Berkeley, California, brought in $430 million for its nitrogen-fixing microbes, which can replace synthetic nitrogen in corn, wheat, and rice production. And Boston's Ginkgo Bioworks, which also uses microbes, is apparently valued at $15 billion and will go public via merger with a SPAC, or Special Purpose Acquisition Company. And there's some innovation in community finance as well. Four native-led organizations are joining forces to accelerate entrepreneurship in Indian country. A recent study found that doing business on reservations in the United States was tougher than doing business in Zimbabwe. These four groups will combine for their back offices to focus on supporting entrepreneurs in native communities, mostly in the Southwest U.S. The initiative is backed by a $3 million grant from the Kellogg Foundation. And in North Carolina, the Community Equity Fund is starting to cut small checks to black and brown proprietors to get them ready for loans from community development financial institutions or even banks. Think of it as friends and family money for businesses that otherwise wouldn't have access to capital. Impact Alpha subscribers got these stories and more each morning this week. Now it's time for this week's featured conversation, digging into Imogen's latest column on private equity and ESG. Imogen, you wrote that the new, new thing for big private equity is indeed ESG, and you focus on Jim Coulter, who is the billionaire private equity veteran at TPG. He's become a big booster of his firm's own ESG funds. So why the focus on Coulter? Yeah, Jim Coulter is important because he is one of a handful of, mostly at this point, private equity managers um, who are really influential in terms of the thinking of institutional investors like pension funds, 
foundations, endowments, and sovereign wealth funds. Uh, Colt was the co-founder of TPG, a large private equity firm. And a lot of these funds have been investing with TPG for a long time, have made a lot of money with them. And so when Colter comes to them with a, a perspective or a view on the markets or, you know, and then fun to invest in, they tend to listen. So, you know, there's been a long history, obviously, a 10-year history of investors talking about ESG, but actually having sort of private equity titans stand up and say, hey, ESG is the new, new thing. Like, that's a big deal. Um, and this is not somebody that you would expect to be, you know, talking about climate change or, you know, diversity. You know, the, this firm was originally called Texas Pacific Group. You know, you don't think of Texas as the center of climate investing, right? You know, you think of Texas as oil country. So that's a huge change for Coulter and for TPG Rice. Um, you know, but, you know, as unlikely as Coulter might be, he took over the TPG Rice Fund after McGlashan resigned. And now he's raising a $5 billion climate fund. Now, let's have a listen to Coulter pitching this climate fund to the Oregon Investment Council. That's the over $100 billion investment fund for the state of Oregon. This was from earlier this year. It's so clear to me now. The next 30 years, the, the climate revolution is going to look like the digital revolution of the last 30 years. And, and Mike, you know, you would have liked to have gotten in specialized focus funds 30 years ago in, in, in uh, technology. If you want to express your belief in natural resources, which I hope you're not doing, or, uh, or technology, there are hundreds of funds that, are, that are, are focused exactly on those. If you want to express your belief in climate, there's very few, and there's only like one fund doing building companies in climate uh, greater than a billion dollars. So we're going we're gonna to build a leader in that area because we've learned over time that specialized sector work builds a flywheel of knowledge, and it allows our LPs to express what they want to do in a specific way. So Imogen, I just want to get clear on like who's leading who. Is it that Coulter thinks the pension funds have the money and the interest in ESG and, and climate, or is it that the pension funds are following Coulter's lead to go in that direction? I mean, yes to all of the above, right? Like, I think that is the crux of the issue, right? So in the past, Pension plans, particularly public pension plans, have been talking about a lot of the issues that are connected to ESG for over 20 years now. You know, CalPERS was talking about investing in climate change funds in 2002. But often the conversation has been driven, as I've mentioned many, mentioned many times, by people within the pension system who don't have investment authority. Right. So it's been done because it's been seen as the right things to do. It's been done sometimes for political reasons. And even if it's been even if it as it started to be talked about as something that there are, you know, investment reasons to do it, particularly on the climate risk side, it was still mostly coming out of these sort of more soft parts of the investment industry. And what you would see is you would see a lot of managers thinking, oh, you know, God, these people, especially these really annoying people in Europe, they really care about ESG. So I guess we better have some kind of ESG policy. And you see a different group of managers who are like, oh, yeah, no, we believe in this. We really want to do it. But those managers often had a tough time raising money because there wasn't actually as much enthusiasm as you might think within investment offices themselves. Now, the really important sort of shift here is you know, the 
the leads of private equity firms, these people who have been sort of perceived of as rainmakers for decades, suddenly saying, no, ESG, or more specifically climate change, is where it's at. This is where we're going to make you know a shit ton of money over the next 10 years. Let's go do it. Like That's, that's a huge change. So we move from the kitty table to the grown-up table. Yes, and it's it's like the the most important grown-ups in the room shouting about this. So Imogen, I'm actually surprised that you found something to be hopeful for because you're usually our in-house lovable curmudgeon. Well, it's not entirely hopeful, though, right? <laughs> because then your question becomes, you know, again, this issue of, well, do you really want the TPGs of this world being the ones leading climate and ESG investing, right? Like, do you trust them to do a good job of defining what ESG is? Do you trust them to, you know, be the ones making making good investments? And, and does this, you know, does this create room for newer, you know, more interest ideologically aligned? You know, as recently as 2019, TPG was going to invest in a company that was a water company associated with fracking, right? It's not like they've become suddenly become Boy Scouts. Um, so are those who you want leading the charge or do you want more ideologically aligned managers leading the charge? And I can kind of take both sides of that. So now, David, Impact Alpha had a story this week on sustainable investing's fuzzy math. What's that about? Well, it picks up on what on what Imogen was saying, which is, you know, what is impact? What is ESG? Who's in charge? Who's running it? And um, the headline number of the Global Sustainable Investing Alliance uh, biannual survey was 36, 35 trillion, sorry, what's a trillion here or there, um, which is about 36% of all managed assets worldwide and up about 18% from, from two years ago. The number is a little suspect, which we can talk about, but the trend is probably right. People are, are seeing, you know, more more money flowing. What actually caught our eye was the disappearance of two trillion dollars in European sustainable investing. So there was a thirteen percent drop, and when we dug into it a little bit, it turns out that they disqualified a whole chunk of investment that didn't qualify under something called the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, or SF. DR, which are uh, initials that, that folks might uh, be getting uh, used to or might be hearing more, um, which uh, is, is designed to flush out greenwashing. So basically, when they went back and ran the sustainable investing fund through that screen of the SFDR, um, $2 trillion of what they had qualified for before didn't qualify now. So um, it might be actually a good sign that the little rigor is coming into the, uh, it's coming into the field. So I can understand that the regulators want to be able to, you know, flush out those who are greenwashing. But why is the uh, big headline number suspect? Well, you know, thirty-five trillion sounds impressive. What that covers is, frankly, any fund or assets that are screened, kind of at, at for almost anything. So basically, the most minimal kind of negative screening out kind of qualifies as quote sustainable investing. And as we've talked about many times on this show and elsewhere, you know, that that's not really driving, you know, deep impacts, shall we say. And the number that's really the impact investing number or the um, thematic investing that actually might represent real capital going to real projects, making real difference, that number is maybe at most, maybe about a third of that big number. 
But when, you, as you said, when you talk about a couple trillion here, a couple trillion there, you're starting to talk about real numbers. Well, I do think the trend is 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 going in the right direction again. Um, maybe not quite as rosily as as we might hope, or as as speedily as we hope. But um, I, th I think direct. We we said the direction is clear, even if the details are fuzzy. Shocking to discover fuzzy maps in <laughs> impact and ESG accounting. I mean, I feel like. We've been talking about this with the U.S. SIF data forever. I want to point out that it's not only them that we, we, we had made some hay a couple of years ago, the Global Impact Investing Network, which does its own separate survey of impact investing funds, had started extrapolating from existing data. And they conveniently extrapolated, I think, in 2019 to $502 billion, just to barely make it over the half trillion dollar mark. So, um, uh, you know. The, the, the asterisk on that number that it was an extrapolation soon got dropped and everybody just said it's a 500 billion dollar market well and and even even so even even if directionally more funds are going into sustainable investing uh, I think that it's it's quite clear that the wildfires are still burning and the floods are still happening and climate change's impact on life on this planet is still happening apace that's a, certainly a cheerful note <laughs> Well, then let's let's pivot and end on a high note. Finally, Hot Impact Summer is here. For proof, check out Sex Life, one of Netflix's top 10 shows right now and a favorite among some members of the Impact Alpha editorial team. One of the main characters is Cooper Connolly, who is evidently a nice guy, loyal husband, and impact investor. Here's a clip. Cooper is the kind of guy who actually enjoys dinner with your parents. Who stands on the train, no matter how many seats are empty. And somehow manages to be the most handsome and humble man in any room. Gotta say, never thought I'd leave Morgan Stanley to come be one of the good guys. <laughs> but... Cooper sucked me in with his change the world hoo-ha. And the dental plan's not that bad either. <laughs> but we have had a very big year. We have. High risk, high reward. So huzzah to you. Merry Christmas, dude. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. All right, well, that seems like a good place to leave it. <laughs> um... <laughs> Imogen, thanks so much for your column. <laughs> Thank you. And David, thanks as always for your insights. Thank you to both of you. And that's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week. More all day, every day at impactalpha.com. Subscribe to get full access to the site and all Impact Alpha material, including the daily newsletter, The Brief. Podcast listeners get $100 off their first year subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of sustainability for the capital markets firm TPICAP. Until next time, take good care.